Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and they are in me as you are in me, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and die in them. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the love you have for us as we read your word and hear it proclaimed that it may speak to us here in this place, that it may open our eyes and our hearts and allow us to go to those places where we don't want to go to, that we may truly then be your hands and feet. Amen. This morning we arrive at one of those passages where Jesus is emphasizing something so vital, so important, that he repeats the message for us. He repeats it for us seven different ways. Seven different ways. We find that this text comes as one last call, one final plea for oneness, for unity, before we arrive at the day of Pentecost. This plea for unity, for oneness, is made seven times, and yet the words seem to fall on deaf ears. This is true not only for us, but for those who are closest to Jesus as well. Discipleship is hard. That's something we need to remember. Because if these sayings of Jesus are real, they are also obtainable if we find the strength within ourselves with God's help. Because these words from Jesus aren't some pipe dream, they aren't some ideal. These words from Jesus' plea for unity is something that can be tangible. Something that is lived out in our daily lives. But we have to admit that there are days when we choose not to embrace that call that Jesus has laid out for us. And the vibrant part of this plea for unity is that we find that the richness of this oneness comes not from some homogeneity or sameness, 
but from the diversity that reflects the very nature of God. Perhaps this morning we could take a moment to look at the various people that Jesus encountered as he lived in the world, and as we find in this morning's passage. Because you have people, you have someone like Nicodemus who came to visit Jesus in the dead of night to have one of those late night conversations with God. Nicodemus was affiliated with those who were trying to tamp down Jesus' ministry, but Jesus doesn't care who Nicodemus was in that moment. All that mattered was that Nicodemus and Jesus were together in that time, in that sacred place, having a conversation, getting to know each other beyond any preconceived notions or biases they had about each other. You have someone like the Samaritan woman who came out to fetch water in the heat of the day and finds herself having an intimate conversation with Jesus, who was a Jew as Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, as it says in that passage, which was surprising for her. And not only was she Samaritan, but she was also someone who had a series of broken relationships resulting in others labeling or pinning a a scarlet letter on her. But Jesus didn't care about those things. The emphasis was not on the things that made them different, but on being in a place where they could be empathetic and understanding towards each other. And then you have someone like the Roman centurion who came to Jesus seeking help because his daughter was ill, and eventually passed away. The Roman centurion was a symbol of an impressive government, an occupier, but Jesus saw something different. Beyond the rhetoric of the politics of the day and the fears that surrounded it, Jesus saw a parent who was concerned about their child. At that moment, their identities as a Roman, a Jew, a political figure of the empire, and a Jewish rabbi didn't seem to matter anymore. Because at that moment, the call to just be present, to be in one community with each other, superseded everything else. Love that transcends these dividers we have erected for ourselves only manifests if we are willing to put ourselves out there for the sake of others. It's love that makes true unity possible because when it does not wrap itself in its own agenda or self-interest, we find then that it is a love rooted in seeing people for who they are, as people who possess the same spark of the divine that we ourselves possess. It may seem contradictory to use this analogy, but imagine each person having a mirror in front of them and asking yourself, how would you like to be treated in whatever situation that may be? By this point, you might have noticed a pattern or at least have picked up on a common theme. The plea for unity that is found in Jesus' message this morning requires something of us, a cost, you might say, because being a follower of Christ doesn't mean that our relationship with Jesus is for us and us alone. We will eventually have to make room for some discomfort. 
make room for people who don't look like us, think like us, come from the same economic background, or even the same religious or ideological background that we are accustomed to. There is something that is a part of this equation to being one with one another, and that is empathy. Empathy, more precisely, the deep empathy that is required is a sensation that transports us into the feelings and experiences of others so that we become one with them. Jesus might not have agreed with the theology or the politics of Nicodemus, but I think he could connect empathetically to what it meant to have a desire to serve God. I think it's fair to say that Jesus wasn't necessarily a woman, but he could connect with what it was like to be on the fringe, the margins of society. And Jesus might not have been a parent, but he would have been able to connect with what it meant for God to be the caretaker of all of us and the pain that comes when you see the people you love hurting. You would think that this is something that we could do, something that comes easily to us, something as easy as to connect with others empathetically. But the reality, the reminder for us this morning is that even if we profess to be filled with the Spirit of God, there will be times when we don't love, don't embrace the other parts of the body of Christ in a way that is redeeming or honoring of who God is in light of Scripture. We find that is the case this morning with Paul and Silas during their encounter with the slave girl who was telling fortunes. The reality of that passage is that Paul and Silas's care for the young slave girl was no better than that of the slave owner. There isn't any justice, no acceptable resolution, and we find that even Paul plays the citizenship card to find fair treatment under the law. There was no justice, though, afforded to the enslaved human being who had no rights in the eye of the law because of who she was. She wasn't a citizen, and she was a woman, and she was poor. But even if society didn't see her the way that she was, for who she really was, we know that she was still on equal footing in the eyes of God. But the problem is that even if she was on equal footing in the eyes of God, the problem is that those around her, and we could say even us, had eyes that were clouded by greed, clouded by selfishness, and a sense of undeserved superiority. When read in conjunction with the passage from the Gospel according to John, we might find that this reading from the book of Acts makes a little more sense. It's a reminder that once we heard the call from God, the call to be at one with one another, that doesn't mean we stop paying attention to how we conduct ourselves and how we treat people who are not like us. Accounts such as Paul's meeting with the young slave girl serves as a reminder of our own baggage, 
our own personal privilege and our own experiences where we have failed to see the image of God in others because we were too wrapped up in ourselves. Friends, we are people, people created in the image of God. But we are also people who are mortal, people with flaws and people who don't always embrace the world with hope and hearts. God came to earth to be with us, to walk in our footsteps. Let that sink in. Because the truth of the matter is that in our moments of weakness, in our moments of failure, the truth is that we will become stronger as a result if we let the Spirit of God do the work within us that it needs to do. And friends, that work is hard, and it isn't easy. But it is necessary to be faithful to who we are as people who are one with God and as people who know that God is one with us. The plea for unity is more than a painting of a far-off ideal. It is a present challenge that asks whether we are strong enough to look each other in the eyes and see not an adversary, but a companion, a person like ourselves who was created in the image of God. Soon we will recall the story of Pentecost and we'll be reminded that God's Spirit descended upon the disciples and enabled them to speak in many different tongues. Not one tongue, not one language like they did at the Tower of Babel, but in many different tongues that reflect the many different expressions in which we interact with the world around us. Oneness, unity in this modern world is something that's meant to be enriching. The point of this reading and the point of the reading from Acts is that you won't always get along with everyone you meet. You won't always agree with them, and that's okay. The point, though, is that this call, this challenge for unity from Jesus, is meant to direct our attention to the things that need fixing in our lives and in the community around us. That need for justice, that needs our hearts, our hands, and blood to mend things together. And that work is done not alone, but together. We call out injustices as we see it, just as we call out the moments where we have witnessed true and pure love. We remind ourselves that even as we follow a living God, our hearts always need to be aware of how we treat those who we call neighbor, friend, and family. Oneness, unity, in this modern world is something we need in our everyday lives. Our hearts have become so accustomed to reacting in a defensive way, and we find that our hearts have also become seeped in hate, that we have forgotten what it means to love God as God has loved us. Friends, seven times, seven times Jesus makes this commandment to be one. 
And if Jesus had to phrase it seven different ways, then I assume that means oneness will also not mean we are all alike. But instead, we will all be different facets of this beautiful gem we call creation. The challenge ahead of us is whether or not we will participate in this call to be at one with one another. So will we ignore these words of Jesus and try to blot out things that don't fit us? Or will we instead be brave, be bold, be willing to take a leap of faith and a spirit-filled way as we live into the community envisioned for us by Christ Jesus? Amen.